Today's word comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Romans chapter 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of God. This is part four of our series, The Power of Salvation. And um, it's, we've been in these two verses for multiple weeks. And it's not over. We're, we're, I'm, I'm not done. We're going to be going on. And uh, it actually feels like, I don't know how you guys feel about this. For me, I was like, wasn't launch service yesterday? <laughs> I was like, launch service was yesterday, wasn't it? Are we actually already um, three weeks later into uh, week four? Um, last week, we had a message called, What is Faith? And I talked about the constituent parts of saving faith in Jesus. And today, we're going to focus some more on that second verse, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what does that mean? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's what we're going to talk about today. What is living by faith? Um, and in a lot of ways, I consider this kind of a part one of two. Next week, we're going to talk some more about the righteous shall live by faith. Today we're going to have a little picture about what does living by faith, from faith, for faith, what, is that, what does that mean? What is that about? I want to get at that today. And next week we're going to talk about, it's kind of a part two of the righteous shall live by faith. I'm really going to be talking about all of life is repentance. Um, but it's not repentance because you feel bad about yourself. It's repentance by grace. It makes all the difference. So that's next week, but let's get into it today. Um, I, I, I feel a little sheepish about uh, today's message. I kind of just felt like uh, as, as I was prepping this, I knew I was going to do this several weeks ago, but when I got to this part, I was going like, well, you know, I should just make everybody read this one Tim Keller doc, and then that's kind of like, you know, that's like, you know, like 60% of the message, <laughs> okay? Um, so uh, I'm really cribbing, you know, you know, this isn't illegal because I'm giving him the, the credit, you see? Otherwise, it'd be plagiarism, okay? Um, so I'm letting you know, um, I learned this from Tim Keller. Um, it's from something he wrote, which actually is not as famous. It's not one of his best-selling books. Um, and so I actually wanted to show it to you. It looks like this. It's a doc. Vision paper that he wrote for Redeemer Presbyterian Church many years ago, and it's called The Centrality of the Gospel. And um, it's nine pages. At least this particular version is nine pages. And it's nine pages that'll change your life. <laughs> now, I can go home and say, read this. Please, please, I beg you to read this, okay? I mean, I, if I had the money, I would literally give you money to read this. <laughs> I, would, I really would. I'd pay you to read this. Okay? But um, some of you would read it and still go, oh, yeah, what, because it's boring, I don't get it, because, you know, that's kind of what we're like. And so um, we still could use a teacher and a preacher, Okay. And obviously, we're not going to go over all nine pages over it, but I want to hit some of the really important parts that are very, it's pretty much an 
um, the outworking of this verse. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in what? In the gospel. So let's get at it. Part one, believing in the gospel for all of life. What is faith? Well, faith, saving faith is believing in the gospel for all of life. Okay? Part two, from faith for faith. What does that mean? I'll tell you, okay? From faith for faith. And part three, the power of living in union with Christ. Not just believing in something now and then getting something tomorrow after you die. I'm talking about there's a power of living now united to Jesus. So let's get at part one. Um, believing in the gospel for all of life. Uh, so I want to give you a quote from the early portion of this paper, The Centrality of the Gospel, um, by um, Pastor Tim Keller. And here's the way he puts this. And this is, I think, something that really helped shed light on this verse. When I read this many years ago, this was kind of what it was like. Okay, I was, I'd been a pastor for a number of years. I started a PhD program in systematic theology, and then I stumbled on this. It's not like somebody told me to read this. I stumbled on this online, and when I read it, it was like the light went on in a dim room. It was crazy. So here's what he puts. Paul is showing in, in verses like this that in our Christian life, we never get beyond the gospel. You don't outgrow the gospel to something more and so-called advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truth. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but it is the way to make progress, is to make the way all your progress into the kingdom of God. That's the claim of Tim Keller. And I think it's absolutely the right way to read the Bible. That is absolutely the teaching of the Bible. Hmm. Now, um, okay, we can take that down. Now I just want you to hear, hear this part, okay? I wanted to highlight that particular quote, but I want you to... Um, let me unpack this a little bit more. He says, he goes on to say this. The main problem in the Christian life then is that we have not thought out the deep implications of the gospel. So what is he saying? The gospel is like a lot of, it's a really simple message. It is a simple message. Jesus saved you by what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. Believe in it and you're saved. A four-year-old can understand that. You know, it takes a whole lifetime to understand the implications of it. It's like a wheel where its truth and its power stretches out into every portion of life. And so it's interesting. The Christian is the person who believes in Christ, believes in the gospel. And there you are now starting on the adventure of being born again, of having a new life in Christ. But it's just the start of something, an adventure. Now you are saved once and for all, your, your sins are all forgiven. You're saved once and for all. You can't lose your salvation after you give your life to Christ through the gospel. But you haven't even begun to taste what righteousness of God through faith is like. When you are first born again, that's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the adventure. And from then on, it's like 
more and more of the power of the righteousness of God. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness will come, how? From faith. Faith in what? In the gospel. But I already believe in the gospel. But do you believe in the gospel in all kinds of other ways? There's a lot of different ways that the gospel is not applied. So here, let's, let's go on. We have not used the gospel in all, in and on all parts of our life. So the average Christian is using the gospel here, but not here. It's like in, in, in uh, religion, but not on money. <laughs> you know, on, um, on uh, let's say, you know, some of you are a little more advanced. On money, but not on forgiveness. All kinds of ways that we are not believing in the gospel. So then he quotes his, um, one of his favorite professors. He went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and this guy, his name is Richard Loveless, wrote this really terrific book called Dynamics of the Spiritual Life. But here's what he says. Richard Loveless says that most people's problems are just a failure to be oriented to the gospel, a failure to grasp and believe it through and through. So even the Christian who absolutely goes, it is true, we believe in it poorly, just like I talked about last week. Then he quotes um, Luther. Luther, Martin Luther, says, the truth of the gospel is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine. It's like the, it's the core thing. It's in everything. Most necessary is it therefore that we should know this article well, the gospel, teach it unto others and beat it into their heads continually. That's Martin Luther's pastoral method. It's pretty good. That's the one I'm trying to follow, Okay. Not as good as him. All of us, to some degree, live around the truth of the gospel, but do not get it. So the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is continual rediscovery of the gospel. The discovery of a new implication or application of the gospel, seeing more of its riches and its truth, that's how we grow. That's how we're renewed. Okay? That's what faith for faith looks like. Okay? So that's a big claim. Now let me make another claim. So this is, he, this, then Keller goes on, and he basically says that there are two big thieves of the gospel, which steal away the power of the gospel in our life. And I think, um, so he, he just says that there's two basic approaches um, to life, and everybody uses one or two, or sometimes both of these approaches, and if you really are living in the gospel, you're actually choosing a third way. So one of them, this is the popular way of our city, is relativism. So relativism, you guys, I mean, basically it's just, it's, or we can call it irreligion, or, you know, all those people who say that I am nothing, you know, when it comes to the, the, the religious, uh, what religion are you? Um, those surveys that come up, like in the Pew Foundations and all that stuff that I like to read, okay? So one is the pathway of relativism. The other one is the pathway that he calls moralism or more concretely, we call it religion, right? Religion or legalism or moralism, the two big buckets, right? And um, those are the ways that people generally trust. So a lot of people today think that if you go into a church, what they all do is some kind of moralism. <laughs> I don't really buy that. And most of the young people today don't buy that, okay? And, uh, and they're right. It doesn't really work that great. Okay? And so a lot of people have kind of figured that out and decided that church isn't very relevant. 
Um, but then they choose another pathway and they're choosing, well, everything is relative and I guess I just kind of have to make it up as I go, right? That's, that's, the, that's the one that's really popular today. And um, Keller goes on to say this. This is really interesting, his observation. What do both the religious, that is the moralists, and the irreligious people have in common? You don't think they have much in common, do they? But he thinks they do. I think he's absolutely right on. What do they have in common? They seem so different. But from the po- viewpoint of the gospel, they're actually very much the same. This is how. They are both ways to avoid Jesus as Savior and keep control of your life. Let me say that again. Whether you go down the moralist path or whether you go down the relativist path, they're both ways to avoid Jesus as Savior and somewhere or another, you're still the one who's got to run your life. So irreligious people, that's the relativists, they seek to be their own Savior and Lord through what he calls worldly pride. It's a really interesting commentary. If you don't believe, if you seek your life based on grace through the gospel, there's only two other pathways and they're both based on pride. It's really interesting. This is really pointing out. He's actually drawing from Augustine here. It's the pathway of being on your own, relativism, or being on your own by following the rules, moralism. But both of them are incurred through your performance, pride. So, you know, you guys know how it works. No one tells me how to live or what to do. I determine what is right or wrong for me. Those are all like, you know, beliefs of, those are all doctrinal beliefs. I mean, they don't call them doctrine, of course. But those are the, the, the basic attitudes that's all around our city, right? And it's kind of in us too, right? If we're honest, even though if you say you're a Christian. But then he, that's the critique of the um, irreligious person. You're actually building your life on pride. But then he goes, but the more religious people, they also seek to be their own saviors and their lords through religious pride. That's interesting. I, I'm, I go to church and I tithe and I pray and I'm more spiritual than these other people, so God will accept me, but not them. <laughs> so he says, that's why I'm going to be accepted in heaven, and I'm going to be blessed by God. God cannot just let anything happen to me. He owes me a happy life because I've earned it. <laughs> that's the religious way. Um, this is the way of all kinds of religion, pretty much of every religion. And unfortunately, people who call themselves Christians too, which isn't actually true Christianity. So the irreligious person rejects Jesus entirely. The religious person uses Jesus as an example and a helper. That's why he's kind of got back there. He's got to help make our life good. Like, you know, I followed your rules, Jesus. You got to get me a better girlfriend. <laughs> so you follow the rules. And then when the things don't work out well, we get mad at God. Why? Because you didn't actually... Worship Jesus. You try to make him your lackey and make him owe you. This is moralism, okay? And a lot of people think this is, they're practicing Christianity, but they're not believing in the gospel, okay? Okay, that's part one. (laughs) Okay, let's go to part two. So we want to believe in the gospel for all of life, all of it. So there's this little portion in this passage that says, so the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
for faith. From faith for faith. So how do you go from faith to a bigger and deeper faith? Let me give you an answer right here right now. How do you get a bigger and deeper, more powerful faith? You go from your weak faith to the bigger faith. You ready for this? By faith. <laughs> Let me say that again. You go from your, you know, your beginner gospel faith to the big, deep, powerful gospel faith by faith. Not by works. You do it by faith, by believing. Believing what? More of the depth and implications and application of the gospel. And what I want to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to take three. I, I, pick, try to, I try to pick the three simplest ones because anything, you know, there's more compl complex ones. So that could just, you know, the complex one just deserves a whole sermon on its own. So I'm going to try to do this now <laughs> quickly. I mean, literally, Keller gives like a paragraph, boom, on this, boom, on this, boom, on this, boom. He just, he just unpacks a little paragraph on various different things. It's crazy. When I first read that, I, just, I remember just going, that's crazy. Right? And then when I got to like paragraph number four, I'm going, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, that's why my life stinks in that category. <laughs> that's basically what I, I don't believe the gospel there. Oh, my goodness. That's why I fall into this. I fall into either the religion trap or the relativist trap. So here he's gonna, he's gonna, so let me try to demonstrate this now. So let's use something in life when you get discouraged and you get really down, maybe even depressed, maybe even clinically depressed. There's a lot of that going on in our culture. So you might be, so you can practice faith to faith tomorrow when you're discouraged, okay? So hopefully you won't be discouraged tomorrow, but then, then Tuesday, okay? <laughs> And if not Tuesday, then you're a wonderful human being. You got to Wednesday. But here we go. Let me help you, okay? On discouragement. So here's what Keller puts. When a person is depressed, the moralist is the moralist answer is you are breaking the rules. You should try harder. <laughs> Follow the rules. Then you won't be depressed. But that's one way. The relativist is what they say. You just need to love and accept yourself. Aren't those the two things we basically hear in our culture? Try harder, <laughs> love and accept yourself. Try harder, love and accept yourself. That's, not, that's what we hear all the time. And there's discouragement all the time. So without the gospel, all that is addressed are superficialities. That's what Keller calls them. The moralists will work on the behavior the relativists will work on the emotions. Neither of them work. No power. We're talking about power. So, he, and then he makes his cut. As long as there's no physiological you know, basis of, the, of depression, he says, the gospel leads us to examine ourselves and say something else. Something in my life has become more than God because that's when we feel really, really down and in the dumps. Because you know who God is? He's everything. He's your life. He's your treasure. He's life. And if you have God, how can you sink into death? Right? But if you don't have God, you'll sink into death. So that's, why, that's what discouragement is. I know it's, we're just discouraged. But when it gets really, really bad, you're dying. 
That's what it is. It's dying. So, something in my life has become more important than God. It's actually a pseudo-savior. It's kind of like, I don't call it savior, but it basically is like my actual savior. And it's a form of my works righteousness. It's based on my performance. So, the gospel leads us to a repentance of not trusting in Christ as your fullest source of worth and life, not to merely setting ourselves against the superficial issue. So when you get there, so you're sitting there going like, really, pastor? Does that actually work? So you get discouraged. You're actually telling me to remember something from church. <laughs> so something from church is going to actually help me when I'm in the dumps about myself. Yes. So, um, before I actually read Tim Keller, I, I, I realized I kind of had, had done various versions of this. Okay, not because I'm so good. You do this not because you're good, but because you're, you don't have anything else. So there's like varying points of my life when I felt like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fail. Or I tried my hardest and it wasn't good enough. So I didn't fail because, because uh, you know, like I was lazy. I tried the best and it wasn't good enough. Or I tried, but in my lazy, kind of lame way, and then I failed. So, like, you know, does that ever happen to you on something important? On a test, in your work, you know, trying to make your girlfriend still like you, trying to keep your kid from hating you. Those of you who don't have kids yet, just, just wait, that's coming, okay? <laughs> so, um, and then it, it doesn't work. So you get to real dumps. The moralist way, you've failed. The relativist way, accept yourself. <laughs> right, come on. <laughs> accept yourself, you're a total loser, you failed. And it's, it's just, the Christians who don't have the gospel, it's actually worse, you have that, we have both. <laughs> we use both. So you know what? I actually remember this, um, as, I remember that I used this when I was 16 and 22 and 27. I mean, I, I used this like last week. I said, wait a second, I failed. Let's just think about the worst case scenario. It's totally terrible. My kid will hate me forever. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Wait a second. But Jesus doesn't. There's forgiveness. There's a second chance. There's actually a 10th chance. There's a 100th chance. There's a comeback. There's a new plan. I didn't get into that school. Wait a second. But Jesus maybe didn't want me to go to that school. He's got something good at another school. Huh. That's the actual truth. That's what's actually true for me because I have Jesus. That's the gospel. And then you say that to yourself, but you don't actually believe it. <laughs> and then you know what you have to do? You go to church. Because then you worship, you sing the song, you know, you may or may not listen to your pastor. And in the middle, somewhere in there, you're singing the song or you're at church and someone prays for you. It's somehow, and boom, it like breaks through. <laughs> and you believe it. And you climb out of the discouragement. That's how it works. You don't believe me? Try it. Second one. What about guilt? Let's try guilt. Oh, I never feel guilty about anything. You're 
Okay, go get away from me. <laughs> you never feel guilty about anything. You are a psychopath. Okay? But if you're a normal human being, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you feel guilt. Sometimes horrible guilt. So, when you say, I can't forgive myself. So, you ever get to a point in your life when you fail in such a big way, you can't forgive yourself. Has that ever happened to you? It probably has. I can't forgive myself. So, you know what this means? It means that one way or another, you don't actually believe in the gospel. It means there is some standard or condition or person that is more central to your identity than the grace of God. If you believe in the gospel, the grace of God is the bottom, bottom, bottom. It's the final, final thing. You understand that? It is. But if you can't forgive yourself, it's not the final thing. So, if you cannot forgive yourself, it is because you have failed your actual God. <laughs> your real righteousness, and it is holding you captive and condemning you. So the moralist God, the religious person's God, is usually a God of their imagination. It's holy and demanding, but is not gracious. Okay, this is crazy. There are people comes who are, I'm a Christian. They fail in some way that they cannot forgive themselves. And they're like, but my God is Jesus. So then all in their mind, every day, they call it Jesus loving, Jesus loving. But in their heart, Jesus is condemning. <laughs> Jesus is far away. So they themselves think, I have totally failed. And of course, Jesus would agree with that. Therefore, I cannot agree. I cannot forgive myself. And it's certainly Jesus does not forgive me, does he? You know what that is? Not Jesus. <laughs> In their imagination, they have a false God that they call Jesus. That's crazy. <laughs> they call him Jesus, but he's not Jesus. I think if... You have a false Jesus in your mind that is not forgiving and gracious. That, okay, this, I'm gonna get a little crazy here. That person you call Jesus is the devil. Hmm. Because the devil loves to dress up like Jesus and tell you you're never gonna make it. So that's, that can't be Jesus. But the Bible shows us what Jesus is actually like. What the gospel is really like. So if he forgives you and he's the bottom, bottom, final answer, can't you forgive yourself? Hmm. See? And of course, the relativist false God is usually some achievement or relationship. So that's their actual, it has to be a false God. So you did not make the achievement. You're worthless. You, you failed. Now you can't forgive yourself. And of course, so now the God condemns you and then you condemn yourself along with your false God. But a real God, the real God of the gospel is forgiving. A thousand times I've failed. <laughs> we sing these songs. But then we walk outside on Monday and forget them. <laughs> it's not down here. It's kind of like sort of rattling around up here. Let's go one more. Approach to self-image. Self-image. Without the gospel, your self-image is based upon living up to some standard. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Whether yours or someone else's is imposed upon you. If you live up to those standards, you'll be confident, but not humble. This is really interesting. You'll be confident, but not humble. We have a different word for this. You'll be arrogant. 
<laughs> so you live up to the standards. I got the good grades and you did it. I went to this school and you went to that school. I'm confident, but not humble. My hair goes like this, and all the guys look at me and think I'm beautiful. Your hair doesn't. <laughs> Therefore, I'm confident, but not humble. See? Happens every day, all the time. But here we go, how about this one? But if you don't live up to the standard, here we go, your self-image your self is at stake. If you don't live up to the standard, you will be humble. That means you'll be lowly, but you won't be confident. You'll be lowly, but not confident. Only in the gospel can you be both enormously bold and confident, and yet also gentle, sensitive, and humble. Because the basis of what makes your life's image is not based on whether you did it or not. Somebody else has loved you so fully, even in your failings. That's like, that gives you confidence. But because you didn't earn it and you think you're better than everybody else, you're humble. It's the gospel. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to believe in Jesus today, but if you just think if there's something out there that will give you this and it's not on the basis of performance, that's actually, and people can actually believe in it, this, this is what it can do for their self-image. These are the, these are just three. Three of the, power of the gospel if we can believe in it okay so i hope this is compelling to you um i want to close um with a, a meditation the power of living in union with christ the power of living in union with christ we're talking about power that's what it says in it the Power, it is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's what it says in verse 16. Where is this power? And uh, I want to, I wrote this down, okay? <laughs> so I could say it without blobbing on too long, okay? Um, why does the gospel have such power? Why does the gospel have such power? And I want to say this. The gospel is not simply and offer a promise for a destination, heaven or hell. I said that a few weeks ago at launch service. The gospel is not simply forgiveness of sins. Oh, that's a huge portion of it. And it's a big part of its power. And the gospel is not simply to be loved by God. He loves you. Of course, that's a big part of it. But there's more. So let me say this. The gospel offers a new life which is united to the one in whom all sin, self-righteousness, self-salvation, self-lordship, pride, and unbelief, where all of that can die. And yet, in him, all of those things could be defeated, and then through him, a new life, which cannot be defeated, can be given to you, which we can know now. All of the kind of sin and sin sickness of our righteousness, that's what's in us. But in him, if you unite your life to him through faith, all that can be washed away and forgiven and actually put away. You know who puts it away? 
you and I put away, but not by ourselves, with him. Together with Jesus, you can actually throw your pride away. You can throw your discouragement away. You can actually put it down. I mean, well, it'll come back tomorrow, but then you put it down again. But your guilt will come back again tomorrow, pastor, but then you can put it down again. And you put it down again with Christ, in Christ, and he squishes it down. And when you believe in him, he squishes it down and then it dies. <laughs> and over time, it'll die. So, it is not simply a defeat of sin and self-righteous pride tomorrow after you die, but it gives you the power to do it now. <laughs> to live in a new kind of beautiful, heavenly kind of life now. Do you want to live in a heavenly kind of life? It's offered to you now. <laughs> so this is how he is giving you the seeds and the power and taste of a new eternal life that can start now. It's by faith, <laughs> living in faith from faith to a deeper faith. So let me unpack this a little bit. Jesus, God, okay, if you believe in Jesus, you know, Christian doctrine, you already know that. And in him, the divine, glorious, eternal life is there because, you know, God has to have the eternal divine life. That's by definition. God has those things, right? But this is really where it's important. He's also fully human. Indeed, it is not despite his divinity, but because of his divinity that he is the most human, human being of all time. He is the most fully human person ever because to be fully human is not just to be an overly smart animal with some weird need to create your own meaning. <laughs> that's, what, that's what secular ideology today says. You know, we somehow became an accident but somehow we're smarter than all the other animals and now we need a philosophy <laughs> and magazines and things like this, right? Championships, <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? But to be filled with the divine glory, this is what it means to be truly human. You have to be filled with the divine glory where you live in eternal forever, not just some beauty, eternal beauty with an eternal love eternal justice, endless mercy, and truth, where you get to live in that now. And it'll stretch out into forever. That is what it means to be human, like God, made in the image of God. So to be fully, divinely human is to live life richly, abundantly. You know what you get? Joy, Humility, confidence, well, better than confidence. How about courage? Generosity, courage, justice. It's all in you. And you know what? It can't leave you. It can't be stopped by your sins. It can't be stopped by other people's sins. It can't be stopped just by the general crappiness of the world. It can't even be stopped by death. That's what it means to be united to Jesus. Because if you're united to Jesus, all the stuff that sucks out that divine kind of life, you know where it, you can put it on Jesus and he kills it with his death. 
and all the stuff that is the real divine stuff of real human life, it comes from him through faith. That's the crazy part. Isn't this the kind of life that you want? Wouldn't this actually be salvation? This is salvation. To become this kind of human being, to have this kind of life, to be able to start it now, not in heaven, but now, to start living it now, that would be like a taste of heaven living it now. This is salvation. <laughs> Only if you're united to a living Savior who has a life like that and can complete and fulfill you and your person, this is what you're most deeply long for, isn't it? I hope this is what you long for. And only as you continuously believe in him and let the gospel wash over you and become the ultimate truth and power of every realm of your life. Just stop for a moment. What place in your life right now is giving you the most pain, the most discouragement, the most emptiness, the most fear, all of those things. Every day, discouragement, fear, <laughs> emptiness. It's just, it's that way. And then what do we do? You know, like, a, oh, well, okay, wait. Try harder. <laughs> oh, wait. Just love yourself. Okay, those don't work. Where's the Haagen-Dazs? <laughs> right? And the ESPN. Okay, for you, okay, something else, whatever you're, that's, those, are, those are mine, okay? Haagen-Dazs and ESPN are very poor saviors because they're no savior at all. But this is Jesus. He stands there and says, you can fail me a thousand times. Believe in me again. Believe in me again. On the way things are not going good with your husband. I have things in the Bible. I have promises for you. I have a forgiveness for you. I'll be there for you. Again and again. Oh, wait a second. Your mortgage is, you're not going to be able to pay it. You're going to lose your house. And then you're going to live on the street. Go to Jesus and I go, you're not going to live on the street. I'm the provider. I'm the forgiver. I have a new path, a new way. Can you believe it? Every day. Every day. Run to him. Cling to him. Believe in him again. And trust him again. This is salvation. Let's pray. Lord, um, we know how to believe in you in one portion of our life, but we don't know how to believe you in so many other portions of our life. And even if we can kind of get it into our head, somehow it seems to get stuck. It's like we're a bunch of broken down vending machine and your gospel is like a quarter. It goes into our head, but the place in our heart 
that's stuck on some other idol. We don't believe in you. And yet you, Jesus, the servant king who comes to serve us, a very idolatrous and poor people, so easily discouraged and so full of fear and so full of pride. It's like those, that's the diet of our life. Fear, pride, discouragement. Oh, a little bit of happiness, but then that happiness goes away so fast. Back to fear, pride, and discouragement. And thank you, Lord, that you offer us heavenly joy, unending forgiveness, and encouragement that could defeat all discouragement. And you will never leave us and we are united to you because that's what the gospel teaches. But we so often fall away from you and run away from you and we think you won't take us back. You're going to condemn us because I condemn myself. But that's false. This is you, Jesus. Help us to believe in you, believe in the gospel again and again and again until all of the riches of your joy and your power and your grace and your wonders fill us and can never be taken from us ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.